The Orthodox Journey, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. In this week's podcast, we reflect on the weekly gospel reading and bring you our Saint of the Week. And as always, we have our Orthodox spiritual reflection. This is The Orthodox Journey. The Holy Gospel. Get out of my way! I was yelling at the cars in front of me. I was so frustrated at the amount of traffic stretched before me, an all too common occurrence on the busy roads of Sydney. But isn't that frustration so familiar to all of us? Unfortunately, it flows from the all too common misconception that what I'm doing right now is more important than anything anyone else is doing, so they should just get out of my way. Our pride and ego really do see the world as me-centred, and this is the cause of most of our own mistakes, sins and bad choices. However, there is a situation in our life that we don't have nearly the amount of frustration we should have. However, aren't there situations in our lives in which we should be frustrated? What about the times we are in our own way? Why aren't we just as frustrated with those times when we are our own worst enemy, when our choices, our attitudes, our actions are preventing us from moving forward in our own life? Truth be told, this reality is far more common in our everyday life than the frustrations of others getting in our way. So how do we learn how to step aside out of our own way so that our life can become what it was meant to become? The answer can be found in today's Gospel reading. On the Sunday of the Holy Fathers of the Fourth Ecumenical Synod in Chalcedon in 451 AD, we hear in Matthew chapter 5, Verses 14 to 19. The Lord said to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Whoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, make your light shine. He commands us to let our light shine. Perhaps this appears as a minor difference, but it's actually a big deal. Letting our light shine sounds like the light is already burning. The light is already present, and all we have to do is get out of its way so that it can be seen. Just put the light where it belongs, on a lampstand, so that the light can do what it was made to do. The light was meant not only to show us how to walk, but to shine so brightly that those around us can see how they should walk as well. So how do we let our light shine? Well, are we we in our own way? Is our life darkening our path and the paths of those around us because we are hiding our light? Perhaps it's time to humbly embrace the truth that God knows how to live well better than I do. By embracing this wisdom, we can finally and consistently let the light already burning in our heart, because we were created in God's image, shine in our life and in the lives of those around us. No wonder then, when we see ourselves more clearly in this light, we become more aware of the darkness that remains within us. That experience often presents the temptation to distract ourselves from the uncomfortable truth that we need healing beyond that we had previously imagined that we cannot heal ourselves. Some abandon the spiritual life at this point, thinking that there is no hope for them at all. Others fill their minds with stupid controversies that are unprofitable and futile as ways of taking their attention off their brokenness. Far better, however, is to use every glimpse of the darkness in our souls for our salvation by opening ourselves more fully to the healing light of Christ. Frequent use of the Jesus Prayer, regular confession, and embracing the humility expressed in the prayers of preparation to receive the Eucharist are powerful means of gaining the strength to offer our brokenness to the Lord for healing. The same is true of asking forgiveness of those we have wronged, forgiving those who have wronged us, fasting according to our spiritual Father, and going out of our way to serve the lonely, sick and needy. Ultimately, our choice is either to remain in the darkness or to enter more fully in the light of the God-man. He alone can transform us from one blinded by usual distractions to one who shines like an illumined city on a hill as a sign of the world's salvation. So instead of finding ways to excuse or justify ourselves, let us have the courage to see our darkness in His light and to refuse to let anything hold us back from being illumined until we shine brightly with the light of the world, our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Isn't it time to let your light shine? Isn't it time to be orthodox with a purpose?
The Saints of the Week Prophet Elijah, despite not having his own book in the Old Testament, holds a special place in the church. We know that Elijah was one of two people in the Bible whose bodies were taken to heaven. Elijah also appeared at the Transfiguration. Through his prayers, Prophet Elijah was able to raise a child from death and was part of many other great signs. Today, we're going to explore a couple of aspects of Prophet Elijah's life. We read about Prophet Elijah in the two books of Kings or three and four kingdoms. To give you a bit of context, Prophet Elijah lived in the land of Israel, which was in the north after the split between the northern and southern kingdoms was made in the wake of King Solomon's death with the civil war. So at the time of Elijah, there were the ten tribes of Israel ruling the north and all of these kings were in disobedience to God's covenant because they were all worshipping other gods and there was a lot of immorality more generally, drunken behaviour and murder and theft between and within the tribes. This is one of many reasons for the prophets, who were chosen and commanded by God, to steer people and ultimately to hold the kings who ruled and influenced the way of the people, to hold them accountable to their covenant with God, that is, to worship only the one God of Israel, the true and almighty one. We read in 1 Kings 16 that Ahab, the son of Omri, becomes the king of Israel and that Ahab did evil before the Lord, more than all before him. This is quite a statement. What particular evil could this king do when there was such violent and shameless precedence? The passage says that it is because he took Jezebel as his wife, who was not an Israelite, and whose favourite god was Baal. Because of this, Ahab went and served Baal, the god of rain and storms, he set up an altar for him and we read that he did many more provocations before God and did more evil things than all the kings of Israel before him. So Elijah goes to Ahab and says that, standing before the Lord God, there will be no rain except at his word. And so there was a drought for three and a half years which caused the famine and poverty and starvation in the kingdom. This punishment particularly proved that Baal was powerless because, as the supposed god of rain, he could not provide rain for his worshippers. During this time, Elijah was instructed where to dwell and was fed by ravens, all through God's discernment. This is the typical depiction, which is quite a beautiful sight in the icon of Prophet Elijah, being tended to by a raven. So God would tell Elijah where to go during this drought to sustain himself. And one of these instructions was to go to a particular widow. Elijah goes to her. He finds her gathering firewood and he asks her for some water. And she gets him water. Then he asks her for some bread. The widow tells him that she doesn't have any. 
She only has a handful of flour and a little oil, which is enough to make one last bread before they die. Because that's all they had, there was no prospect, as far as she could tell, of being able to feed herself and her son to survive. But Elijah says to her, Take courage and do as you say, but make me a small cake first, a small loaf, we would say, and bring it to me. Afterward, make yourself some and for your son. For thus says the Lord, The jar of flour shall not be used up, and the oil shall not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on earth. So the woman, in the depth of poverty, with just a tiny amount of food, obeys, and from then on her flour and her oil never run out miraculously. She and her son had plenty to eat until the drought ended. Now, this widow is an extraordinary model of hospitality. St. John Chrysostom lauds her and actually says that this woman had greater hospitality than Abraham, who is famed for his generosity to the three strangers at his door. Why does St. John say that she is greater? Because Abraham gave richly, but he was rich. He had an entire herd to pick an animal from to feed his guests, but she only had a handful to offer. She had nothing to run to. What she had was so humble, it was next to nothing. She was so vulnerable. She professed to being on the verge of starvation, and she knew that her son was also vulnerable, and yet she still gave. This is incredible generosity. She was able to offer and give, despite the irrationality of the situation, and without placing herself first. And she received a lot more than what she gave, though she gave all she could. Elijah became poor to make her rich, showing also how Christ became poor for the sake of many. So after three years, Elijah returns to Ahab and tells him that by worshipping Baal, he has brought all of this suffering on Israel and it's time for things to change. Elijah tells Ahab to gather all the prophets of Baal and meet him on Mount Carmel. There were 450 of them, and Elijah was the only prophet of God in the kingdom at the time. So they've all gathered on the mountain, and Elijah says, How long will you be undecided between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. How is this going to be settled? He proposed that two bulls be provided. The prophets of Baal could choose one and prepare it on wood, but not light the fire beneath. Elijah would prepare the other and do the same. Then each would pray to their God, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. The people thought this was a great idea. So they ran around, prepared the bull and the wood, and called on Baal loudly from morning until noon. They were begging, hear us, O Baal, hear us. But there was no answer, and at noon Elijah said to them, Maybe Baal is busy. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. So the people cried even louder and prophesied until the evening when the sacrifice was due. Then Elijah told them to gather close so they could watch him. He built the altar and then told them to pour water on the wood, four pots worth and three times over. So you can imagine the scene. The wood was soaking wet. The trench around the altar was filled with water. It was dark. And Elijah prays, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, 
that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah let them down and had them killed, as was the expected punishment of the time. When Ahab told his wife Jezebel about everything that happened, she was furious, and she threatened Elijah, telling him that he will meet the same fate as the priests he killed. Now perhaps we would expect that Elijah had some more bold words for her in response. But Elijah grew fearful and fled. The Bible actually says he ran for his life. He went into hiding in Judah in the south and he prayed there and he was disheartened and tired, but God took care of him. I think this can be a lesson also. Sometimes in life, we need to choose our battles. Elijah had great boldness in addressing the king, his wife, and the crowd of over 400 people who were all against him. He admonished them for their indecisiveness and their disobedience. He mocked their powerless God. But when another trial befell him, which threatened his life, he ran so he could fight another day. There are many examples of great saints who fled and went into hiding, such as St. Polycarp and St. Athanasios, who fled from his sea in Alexandria five times in his untiring fight against Arianism. And he was scorned for this. People thought he was a coward. Sometimes we might think that if we have been obedient and fighting the good fight, we deserve to be protected from temptation and persecution. This cannot be the case. We are constantly having to struggle, but we do need to discern how we struggle with each trial. There are times to stand and use bold words, and there are times to quietly pray and retreat. May we seek God's wisdom in our struggles, as Prophet Elijah did.
Orthodox Spiritual Reflections. Around 600 years before Christ, there was a slave and storyteller by the name of Aesop. He became famous through the deep meaning of the stories he would tell. These stories are now known as Aesop's fables. Today, we will be discussing one of his most well-known fables, the story of the fox and the grapes. The story begins with a hungry fox. The fox was looking everywhere for food, but could not find a thing. Eventually, the fox arrived at a huge vineyard. Inside this vineyard were some very large and delicious-looking grapes. The fox started to lick her lips, full of excitement for the fact that her hunger would soon be gone. She repaired herself and ran and jumped high, but fell short of the vines. She tried again, but the outcome was the same. After trying many times, she walked away full of disappointment. But the fox did not accept the fact that she was not strong enough to reach the grapes. Instead, she said to herself and to the others there that those grapes were not ripe. I didn't want them anyway. In saying this, the fox rejected truth and reality. In their place, the fox placed an unrealistic picture of the object that she failed to conquer. In the fox's mind, the excuse for her failure was not that she was not strong enough to jump the necessary height. The excuse that the fox gave to others and to herself was that the grapes were not ripe. Aesop explains that this is the same with some men, when they are unable to get the things that they wish. They then make an excuse based on the circumstances at the time. So what is the message for us? The message is that it is important when we look at our faults and errors not to make excuses. This is most important when we prepare for confession. We should be aware that the excuses that we give for our actions are not always true and we should avoid such excuses. Indeed, in most cases, those excuses are hiding a very cunning fox. The very recently canonized Saint Sophronia of Essex wrote that every man can find an excuse for many of his actions. He needs to examine his heart. He will then discover that by justifying himself, he cannot avoid some degree of cunning. May we also avoid this cunning. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast series, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more Orthodox talks, sermons and podcasts, be sure to visit orthodoxjourney.com.